Well, welcome and good evening and thank you for joining us here at Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre. Whether you're listening on our podcast or, or here in the auditorium, I pray that the spiritual revelation would come to you as we look at the Word of God in relation to the day in which we live. The Bible is always relevant and it is always more up-to-date than today's newspaper. The Spirit of God stirred the waters of Siloam as people were waiting in anticipation, wanting to be the first to jump in. Isn't that a good picture? Wanting to be the first to jump in. When the Spirit of God stirs tonight, I say jump in. Jump in. Don't hold back. But give yourself wholly to the things of God was Paul's advice to his young protege, Timothy, and it would be mine to you also tonight. And so tonight, as an introduction, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen? And liberty speaks of being set free, but it also speaks of staying free. Isn't that interesting? And so, however, even as believers in Christ, we have all experienced at points even in our spiritual lives, freedoms and liberties somehow being lost and things that prohibit growth or present us from fulfilling our ministry calling and frustrating ours and more importantly, God's plans. That is liberties being restricted. This can also happen to churches and ministries. And so the title of my message tonight is Regaining the Breath of Life. Who likes the sound of that? Who would like to regain the breath of life, amen, when liberties are being taken away or you feel things closing in, claustrophobic in a way? But to help illustrate, I'd like if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 16. It's called the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles or even the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But one, reasons, one reason why it's called the Acts of the whole, of the of the apostles is because the apostles acted, amen? That's a good reason, isn't it? They did act, didn't they? And, um, but chapter 16 and, and 17, they're great, uh, great chapters. And uh, I'll just begin to set the page a little bit. In chapter 15, verse 39, we see that that is the beginning verse of Saul's, of Paul's, sorry, second missionary journey. And it come after uh, 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 Paul and Barnabas parted ways, and not even in a friendly way at the time, but they parted, they had a disagreement. So even these mighty apostles had disagreements. So when disagreements come in church circles, know that it's quite ordinary and happens quite frequently. So, but Barnabas was determined to take with him a servant called John Mark, who had apparently let the team down. So Paul uh, took Silas and was on his way. And so they were making their way across the country we now know as Turkey. And uh, they were wanting to go into the region of Asia to begin to, uh, begin to bring the gospel message into Asia. But the Bible says in verse 6 of chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit forbid them to go into the region of Asia. Isn't that amazing? And I'm thinking, well, nobody's gone in there before. Why can't I? You know, there's times and seasons to do things. 
And God at that period of time did not want Paul to take the great message of the gospel. He in fact had another, he had in fact another mission for him and he didn't even know what it was. And so he made his way across to Troas, which is only kilometres away from that ancient city called Troy on the uh, west coast of modern-day Turkey. And so in a dream that night, Paul uh, saw a man, and in the vision, the man said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And I could imagine that Paul was excited as anything. The Holy Spirit prevented him from going into Asia, so by faith he just says, well, I'll just keep going across till I hear from God, and hear from God he did. And wouldn't he have been excited because to come over to Macedonia was the first time the gospel would have been taken into Europe. And we know that would have excited Paul to no end indeed. And so uh, they went across and they sailed across from Troy over to a, a, a township on the, on the west coast there of uh, Macedonia to a place called Neapolis. And from there, he took about a 10-mile or 16-kilometre journey up to uh, uh, a nearby city, and we know it as Philippi. And that was, of course, a city named after Philip of Macedon, who was Alexander the Great's father. So it was steeped in history. Philippi was a very, very strategic uh, uh, city, and if you were going to Rome, you would go through Philippi, very, very strategic city. And so they were in verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside to pray. And the reason why they went to pray is because there was no synagogue in Philippi, which means there were less than 10 Jewish men in the whole of the region. So you would have to say it was not a really godly area at all. They'd hardly heard anything about God at all. And so, but there was a, a, a woman named Lydia in verse 14, and she was a seller of purple cloth. She was, so she was a woman of substance. Purple cloth was cloth for royalty. And so she was a, a woman of substance. And she worshipped God, but she didn't know really anything about the gospel. But the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And so it just said spoken by Paul. Paul wasn't preaching but he was just sharing a message of the gospel down near the river while they prayed. And when she and her household were baptized, so she believed herself and she was baptized. It says also that her whole household believed and were baptized. Now, there is no such thing as household uh, uh, faith, uh, faith coming to a whole household uh, just through the father and the mother or anything like that, or they were just baptized as a... As a uh, just a, a, a means of doing something, but individually, those people in her household would have an understanding of the gospel, receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and subsequently were baptized. That's what it means when a person, a man, and his household is saved. And so it, it happened as they went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us who brought her masters much profit from fortune-telling. Just uh, hold the line there for a second. And so uh, in this uh, second ministry journey, uh, they were prevented from going to Asia, 
And so they were called over to Macedonia and then into Europe. Just going over that. And, uh, but this girl followed Paul and us and they cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now was what she was saying, was that true? Yes, it was. But it was a demonic spirit working through this woman. And the reason why it would have frustrated Paul is because a demonic spirit can tell the truth just as well as it can tell a lie. And so it had to be silenced. It's difficult, isn't it? But when you've got people who are not saved, uh, spreading the gospel and things like that, so easily it can be uh, twisted around. And so in verse 18 then says, And this she did for many days. I don't know how many days, but it was obviously more than two. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, because she was a fortune teller and worked in the occult and witchcraft, and to tell you the truth, the whole of Europe, because none of the gospel had come to Europe, the whole of Europe was entrenched in witchcraft and divination and every work of the occult. And, uh, and so, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They brought them to the magistrates and said, these men bring Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And that is the truth. A gospel preacher will bring exceedingly great trouble to any city because it counteracts every culture on earth today. Every culture. People say, I've got my culture. But every natural culture across the face of the earth is opposed to Jesus' culture. It opposes Jesus' culture. Very, very, oh, that's a, that's a strong thing to say in this woke society now, isn't it? Very, very strong. And today we see that the proclamation of the gospel attracts almost as much attention as it did 2,000 years ago. Because there is a repaganization of the whole of the West again. We are living in uh, amazing days. We are seeing things on our TV which we never would have dreamed of seeing two years ago. Amazing, isn't it? And so, liberty speaks of being set free and staying free. However, even as believers in Christ, we have all experienced points even in our spiritual lives, freedoms and liberties lost. And we are living in those days now of freedoms and liberties lost on many fronts. Things that prohibit growth or prevent us from filling our ministry and even the church itself. And so we, th we see that there was no synagogue in the whole of the re region. Lydia heard the gospel with great joy. Her and her family were saved. And so effective were they, uh, in fact, accused of exceedingly troubling the city. And so what happens when people get saved in any situation it will not be long before opposition would show its ugly head. Amen? It never is. And you can expect when you've had spiritual victories that opposition will come. 
when we've had great meetings on Sundays and things like that, Jules and I are always very, very wary of things that can occur. And because it means when you're taking or making ground for the kingdom of God, the enemy, while you're taking possession, the enemy is being dispossessed. And I can tell you, it does not like it. Amen? Does not like it whatsoever. And so no sooner that people were being saved, that Satan begins to hinder the work. And this is a natural thing. And a, a mature Christian knows that these things will occur. When you see people getting saved, you have to be very, very much on your guard and expect a counterattack. And so this spirit of divination is literally in the Greek called the spirit of Python. Has everybody, anybody ever noticed that? And it is the only spirit in the whole of the Bible which is actually named. And so here we are, and it is the only reference in the New Testament. So Vine's reference calls it P-U-T-H-O-N, but in, in fact, in the, in the English, it is Python. In Greek mythology, it was the name of the Pythian serpent or dragon. Isn't that interesting? It's a serpent or dragon. And uh, at the foot of Mount Parnass Parnassus, guarding the oracle of Delphi and slain by Apollo. This is that, that snake or serpent. Before Alexander the Great was given his great commission to be conqueror of the then known world, he visited the oracle at Delphi himself and received prophetic words from a demonic spirit. And this demonic spirit was in the heart of Greece and dictated everything to the whole of, not just a region, not just here at Philippi, but the whole of Greece, and in fact really had influence over the whole Roman Empire. When Paul confronted this spirit of divination or spirit of Python, he was dealing with no little baby spirit. It was a principality over just about the whole of the Roman Empire. And when we read this, we gloss over it. He says, oh, there's just a, a slave girl with a spirit of divination. But we are talking about a major principality and stronghold over a whole nation. This was not a small thing. And so this, uh, the name was transferred then because Apollo in mythology slew this snake or serpent. And, and so himself later the word applied to diviners or soothsayers regarded as inspired by Apollo himself. You see the demonic uh, uh, foundation here, and it was right across the Roman Empire. And since demons are the agents inspiring idolatry, in 1 Corinthians 10.20, the young woman in Acts 16.16 16 was possessed by a demon, instigating the occult of Apollo, and thus had a spirit of divination or python. And so... The python or serpent represents demonic power. We don't like to talk about it in church circles much anymore. They used to 30 years ago, but not so much. Probably because to a lot of people it became a focus or a major distraction when our major focus should be on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is all-powerful. And so because it was taken to an extreme people dropped off all teaching whatsoever about demonic strongholds and exercising of demonic spirits. 
In fact, most Christians don't even believe they really exist or know how to confront it when they're dealing with them. But we deal with demonic spirits, whether you know it or not, in the workplace. We deal with it all the time in church circles, because sometimes, like Jesus said to Peter, you do not know what spirit you are of. Remember? You do not know. Sometimes we can operate out of a spirit which is not godly. And if it is not godly, then what could it be? It is a demonic spirit. We deal with these things all the time. The words the woman spoke were true, but communicated in a mocking way, so as to become a distraction to what God was trying to accomplish. And I feel that many times in church circles, sometimes we see a whole lot of things that are quite good. But if they are a, a distraction to what God is doing in a meeting, it is a spirit that is not of God. We don't like to acknowledge that, but that is exactly what it is. And I have seen it operate even in, in this place over the years. Very clearly, even as a minister, visiting ministry, I have seen spirits operate here very, very innocently. Oh, it can work. It can work and it will use anybody. And so the words the woman spoke were true. But in verse 18, this went on for many days. So Paul would have discerned in a moment in time that that was a demonic spirit. He didn't need days and days to work it out. And when you become learned or aware or show spiritual discernment, you too can often detect the spirit within a very, very short space of time. And Paul would have discerned that in the slave girl, I would have thought within a moment in time. And so, but he, he knew that by casting that spirit out of that woman at that time, there was going to be some fallout, which he was trying to avoid. So he's thinking, maybe this woman will just go away. And he would have been praying, but she didn't just go away because we were talking about a major principality here. This spirit was a stronghold, not just over the girl, but over the whole of the Greece and Macedonia. I know this might be a little bit uncomfortable for some people to talk about from a pulpit or in a message or a sermon, but these things need to be taught because we are entering into a time, not just entering into a time, but we are now in a time when these pagan ancient spirits are beginning to reassert their, their place, their power and their authority over whole nations. And we can see it. And when, with, when we use spiritual discernment, you will see exactly what is happening. Pray that God will give you wisdom and discernment in regard to these things. And it will make the life of a Christian a lot easier. This spirit needed to be dealt with and with so to ensure the success of Paul's future ministry throughout the Greece and in fact throughout the whole Roman Empire. And so God actually used this situation for him to uh, exercise it out of the road, and incrementally it was pushed back right out of Europe. And the success of Europe and Western civilization is because demonic strongholds were eventually moved out, and the Spirit of God became the dominating spirit right across Europe, amen, and brought about its success. You can see that through the light of this scripture here. And so anything, however good it may appear, that distracts from God's assignment to set people free by the message of the gospel is not of God. So this spirit does Satan's bidding. 
this spirit of python. In Genesis, Satan is introduced to us as the serpent. We know that Genesis is the seedbed and Revelations, as I've said before, is the harvest. Amen? There were two seeds in the garden. So there is a snake in the, in the book of Genesis, but by this snake, this Satan character, feeding on the dust of humanity, now in the book of Revelations is the great dragon, amen? He has grown immensely. And Satan has been growing in power, and we need to also be growing in power. And this is a time for the church of God to acknowledge this and to begin to work and operate and now know how to deal effectively with this. Satan grows from feeding of the dust of the earth. The works of the flesh by default empower the works and the authority of the enemy. When we're walking out, when we're in the spirit, we're not doing anything for him. He's got nothing to feed on. But the minute even you and I begin to operate in the flesh and we begin to give him some dust to feed on, and that's what he does. And, but we're called to go from faith to faith and from glory to glory, and God takes us there as we submit to him. He will empower us, and he will enable us and elevate us to the task at hand. And uh, I just put a footnote in there. I haven't uh, preached on it yet, but I have two or three messages on the authority of the believer, which I will be bringing to this church over the next month or two. So, but the python is like no other snake on earth. No other snake. It's a unique type of snake. It doesn't kill with its bite or venom or even by crushing. It kills. Actually, we think it kills by crushing, but it's not. It, it kills by asphyxiation. That's how it kills. I'm talking about regaining the breath of life tonight. And for you listening here online, do you need a new breath of life? When you breathe out, the python contracts further and you eventually cannot breathe. All you can do when you are surrounded by a spirit of python or even the snake itself, it continually wraps around and all you, you cannot inhale but only exhale. And so that is why the human body is crushed under the effects of a python snake. You're gasping for air but all you can do is exhale and you see python wants your breath, Amen. This spirit wants your breath. Python's assignment is to squeeze, constrict till the body cannot breathe. Sometimes we start out on an adventure. We've got huge amounts of resources. We've got huge amounts of energy, bucket loads and bus loads of excitement. But somehow things begin to tighten and we feel the breath of that vision begin to be in a way, for, a better, for want of a better way, to be crushed. And that is the assignment of this spirit. And this spirit is actively working in the marketplace everywhere right now. In Genesis 2-7, it says, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And it says, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Oh, it's great, isn't it? We became a living being when that breath of life came into us. And uh, John 20, verse 22, he says, When he had said this is Jesus, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came as a breath of life. And so when you, you and I don't have this breath of the Holy Spirit, you are really as good as dead. When you don't have the breath of life, remember David's plea, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
almost like take anything else, but do not take that breath of life from me. Without it, uh, we lose life and hope. Python squeeze out, squeezes out life. A python will squeeze and reduce your prayer life. You perhaps had a robust prayer life. Who knows there was a season in your life when your prayer life was just absolutely dynamic and you were unstoppable. Amen? And, uh, but Python robs you of liberating worship. I see it here and people are unable to even claw their arms away from the side of their body and lift up their hand letter than their arm. You see, your spirit restricts your worship. Oh, it does. You can see people at the, at the football and they have no problem worshipping Jonathan Thurston and they kick a pigskin through the goalpost. Incredible, isn't it? And here we have here bold and courageous and strong men can't stand to their feet and they feel like they've got locked shoulders and they can't even raise. You see, that's a spirit. It stops people from worshipping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's a spirit. Make no doubt about it. They can do anything and everything outside these four walls, but oh, they said, oh, I don't, this is not quite my thing. But outside these four walls, they have no problem doing it. It chokes out your money. That's what it does. Implements austerity measures. That is a spirit. When a whole nation begins to implement austerity measures, know this, that the blessing of God is not on it. What is it that's constricting the finances and every other thing? They downsize my V8 to a, to a four-cylinder rice burner. Amen. Oh, sacrilege, isn't it? <laughs> Remember that when the Datsun 120Ys were brought into the country in, an, in the early 70s, out with the big V8s? Oh, it was a sad day, I tell you. Chokes out your money, implements austerity. It's a lack attack. That's what it is. Who's ever had a lack attack? And you just thought about, you didn't think about growing the business, you just talked about reducing costs. That's a lack attack. That's a spirit. And it keeps people in bondage. Python will tell you, you're not going to make it, you're not going to prosper, and you're not going to grow. You will not thrive, but you may survive. But God is interesting, interested in us thriving, not just surviving. I don't, I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. Amen? Who here wants to thrive? Oh, let me see them hands. Oh, I see all those hundreds of hands tonight. Fantastic. Oh. Python reduce you to lack. He kills faith. Unbelief rises up while it says you can only go so far. That's what a lack attack does. That's what this spirit does. Oh, it does. It constricts. Paul and Silas found it also in prisons. That's how it was constricted they felt. That was a spirit that drove those... That, that spirit wasn't just on that woman. It was on that whole society there. And it was confronted because the gospel confronts. And it's interesting. People don't know that they actually even have an antichrist spirit till it's confronted. A 70-year-old person who has never been confronted with the gospel doesn't even know that he harbors a spirit of antichrist. He's never heard the gospel. He's been remote from it. He doesn't know anybody. And all of a sudden, 70 years old, he's been living all those years. And all of a sudden, that person is confronted with the gospel, which that person may accept or reject. Now, if he rejects it violently, he has and has been harboring an antichrist spirit for all his life, but it only came to the surface because it was confronted. And that's how spiritual 
forces work. They hide in the shadows for decades and decades, but under the right circumstances, they will definitely rise to the surface and they will manifest themselves. It says, stay where you are and don't dare take on new territory. That's what it does. It says to a pastor, don't you dare step out of these four walls and try to make this church grow. It says to the pastor, don't you be too radical. You stay behind that pulpit. Don't you dance. Don't you quote too much scripture. And don't come out from behind that. You stay there now. How many times has a pastor been said, I don't like it when you raise your voice. He's been told this and to. You wonder sometimes who's pastoring who. Amen? But that's what happens. It's because you are dealing with spiritual forces of influence. A spirit of python says to the preacher, stay behind the pulpit and don't preach the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Don't preach those things. Python will use family. He will use family. He will use those closest to you, even other fellow believers. Python will do that to constrict what God is doing through your life. The Python will use friends, colleagues, finances, sickness, addictions, or any other means to wrap you up in grave clothes before your time. Before your time. Bullying in the school ground or playground is really a tool of Python to kill great expectations of blessing and stops potential being fulfilled in young people today. It's an intimidating spirit that tries to shut people down. It's interesting to note that elephants are trained to be restrained soon after birth. And there's wisdom in that because they weigh about three tons and they need to be constrained and the, to be... But think about this, a chain hooked to a block of concrete under the earth is attached to its leg while it's such, such a little tiny elephant. And they train it. This little elephant will pull and strain and resist and reject that bondage even to the point in cutting and scraping its leg on the chain till it bleeds and then finally gives up. It's trained while it is very, very young. And But at some point in time, the spirit of that animal is broken and it gives up and accepts the bondage for its life. It's true, isn't it? Think about this now applied to the human character. That animal then can be tied with a small rope and led around without resistance. Who's ever gone to the circus and seen a tiny little rope around a three-ton elephant and it just stands there? And you think, how does that... What a stupid animal. But an elephant is an intelligent... It's an intelligent... They, say, they even say today he's got an emory, a memory like an elephant. They say that, don't they? We ask ourselves, how can a three-ton elephant be held with such a small rope if only it knew its power, if only it knew its potential, and that beautiful animal has accepted its bondage of limitation. You see, if you've been hit, if your spirit's been broken long enough by the influence of these spiritual forces of darkness, you accept limitation on your own life. We accept limitation on our own Christian life. And we say, oh, that's my lot. It's not a lot, but it's, that's my lot. Fleas, too, can be trained by putting a lid on the jar. I heard this uh, uh, 35 years ago, I heard this, how to train fleas. You can put a whole heap of fleas in a jar and, and they're jumping and they can clear that jar. Who knows a flea can just jump? It's amazing. You put a lid on that jar 
and those fleas will hit the lid, 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 and and they get sick of it. They get a headache. And then they start falling short of the lid and they learn to jump only this high. And you can take the lid off and those fleas have been trained not to jump higher than that lid that's been removed. Amazing, isn't it? You can train fleas. If you can train fleas, well, you can train us. Amen? Limitations are put on us all the time. And if your spirit has been broken, you begin to accept those limitations. But I say that greater is he who is within me than he who is in the world. Amen? There are situations and circumstances that come around even church life and it tries to put limitation on you. And I accept that. I pray that this place is going to be full to overflowing. Amen? But there is limitations coming about because we've had some good successes. We've seen people get born again. We've seen people get saved. We've seen high teas and bacon, beef and blokes breakfast. We've seen many, many. In that morning, seven souls got saved at that bacon, beef and uh, uh, blokes breakfast. Seven souls. Amen. And then something happened and you can feel it. And you think, oh, what was that? And there's a heaviness begins to creep in. What is it? Does people, do people begin to lose interest? It's a spirit, see? It tries to snuff out what God wants to do. And I believe for God to move in this region, we've got to be more resilient in the realm of the spirit. And Christians need to learn what it is to operate in the realm of the spirit. And we have lost, by, by and large, the Christian community and the body of Christ. It's lost its ability to be able to war in the spirit. But you can learn the ways of the Spirit. And I pray that you keep coming. Keep coming to the prayer meetings. And keep coming and reading about it and learning about it and operating in it. And when you see heaviness come, you see limitation creep in. It creeps into your mindset. You can do something about it. Amen. And Paul here and Silas exactly did it. And they got rid of that spirit. They got rid of it. There were consequences, and that's why Paul didn't want to do it straight away. He knew there was going to be some fallout. And in ministry, you have to make some tough calls, which a lot of people will never understand. Sometimes a pastor's got to make a decision, and they said, we've done this and done this. We've always done it like this, but there is a change. But the pastor with discernment will know what's going on in the realm of the Spirit. He will make changes which sometimes very few people will understand. And so there is often fallout, but you have to weigh up the cost and know in whom you have believed. I ask you today, my question is this, what bondage of limitation have you accepted? And we all have them. We all have them. What area in your life has had the breath of life squeezed out and faith that moves mountains, you say, oh, well, that's just for somebody else. You knew at times when you've raised up and moved mountains by your prayer and you knew God answered your prayer. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Or Jesus said, speak to the mountain, be thou removed. And who does not, and who believes in his heart and believes the things that he says will surely, it says it will surely come to pass. Exactly what it says. I haven't come here tonight to tell you of the problem of unseen forces because we know that we uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, said 2 Corinthians. And, but there are things that have restricted your potential in God and from reaching the destiny that is promised. And it seems elusive. You know that God, that you were born for more. 
It's a bit of a cliche for the INC. You were born for more. But within all of us is a vision. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul saw that vision. Oh, that's a great vision. What has God said to you? And there is a vision that is unfulfilled in our life and we have settled for second best. And Christians do that because we just like to be nice. But nice is not always godly. And sometimes there is a war in the spirit and it looks a bit ugly sometimes. And it's not easy to stand in the realm of the spirit. It's not easy to stand in the place of prayer when everything seems to be opposing you. Amen? And there is things that are opposing us. All there is, most people would never know in a million years. But if you're at the spearhead of what God wants to do in a region, or oh, know you're going to take a few hits, and you will, in your will. But I've got some great news tonight, and that is you're going to get your breath back, amen? You're going to get your breath back, and you can make a decision tonight. You say, you're going to get your breath back. Is there anybody here in the house tonight that wants to breathe again? Oh, Nobody? Oh, yes, there is. I see those hundreds of hands again. Thank you. Python is coming off my life. Amen. That spirit, acknowledging what it is, is more than halfway there. Because then the Lord will give you a strategy on how to work through it, work out of it, and to become more. We are called to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Not just a conqueror. But the Bible says to be more than a conqueror. Not just an overcomer, but more than an overcomer. And so you put off the victim mentality and you put on the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We have a generation of victim mentality. And you turn on the TV and this and that at every single show. It's somebody's lost this and lost that and did this and did that. And, that. and, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's really not encouraging to watch, is it? Because everybody has got a reason why we're not achieving in God or achieving in life, achieving in our family, in our health. And, uh, but I say that everything that has held us back is coming off our life and we're going to pray tonight. And how is it done? Let's go to Acts 16, 25 to 35 and then I'll be rounding up. Oh, but at midnight, say that, but at midnight. Oh, we know that at midnight it's pretty dark. And even just before the dawn, they say it is the darkest before the light comes through. He says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Oh, isn't that great? They hadn't heard of anything so encouraging. Oh, and it's great to listen to. I don't care if they, people who love God when they sing always sound good. They do, don't they? I, I don't, not everybody believes that. <laughs> Suddenly, oh, that's a good, isn't it? Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons was shaken. You see, Paul and Silas were thrown into the jail, and they were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Isn't that great? When you make a breakthrough, Everybody around you is a beneficiary. When this church and the body of Christ around this region begins to make real breakthroughs, and we will, and we will, we are not putting up with second best here. We're not putting up with 0.1 of 1% of people sitting in church while the sporting fields are filled. Amen? 
We're not putting up with it. The keeper of the prison awakened from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supporting the prisoners had fled, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill him. There was a, there was a, a, a law in the, in, the, in the Roman Empire and uh, if that prisoner escaped, the prison guard had to fulfill his sentence, which was normally a death sentence. And so the Philippian jail thought, oh, well, I'll do it myself. At least it's more humane. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. He still was a compassionate man. And I call Paul the man of grace and grit. He is known as the apostle of grace. He called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The long and short of it is the Philippian jailer and his household all made a confession of faith and were all baptized that night. Amen. What a great story. And even in the in, in, they had their honeymoon period when they came into Philippi and Lydia and the household got saved and others were touched by the Spirit of God. Wonderful. Then they were imprisoned. They, they did the work of the ministry. There were signs and wonders. There was miracles. They drove out that demonic spirit out of that slave girl. They paid the price. They knew there was going to be fallout, but God still turned it out for good. And salvations then were happening in prison. Amen. Fantastic. It's fantastic. And we see that Paul and Silas, uh, they were praising and worshipping God. They were in unity, which is the point of power. Paul and Silas together in prison at midnight, at the darkest hour. Python is broken when believers agree. Amen. And that is uh, one thing that I, I am, a, am an advocate for. I believe in spiritual warfare. And I've done plenty of it. And I've seen massive breakthroughs. Massive breakthroughs. Not the sort of thing you talk to about from the pulpit. But if you'd like to hear some great stories, talk to me later. The other thing is prayer. It's a great thing. Great thing to come to. You, uh, John Wesley said, it seems like nothing can be accomplished on earth unless a man pray to God. Amen? Nothing. And so we see that there is an opposition in the spirit realm and the devil doesn't like you to pray. He does not like you to pray. It says, while they were praying, this demoniac rocked up. And I want to say, you don't have to go looking for demons because when you begin to do the work of God, they have a way of showing up. They have a way of showing up. And I've confronted heaps of them over the years. The other thing is too, in the midst of all that, they were worshipers, amen? And one, this is how I fight my battles is one of those songs. And one of the greatest weapons of the church, and that's why I encourage everybody, I don't care if you've got a voice, no voice, I don't care if you can sing, you can't sing, if you can stand to your feet, you can raise your hand here and just begin to praise God with everything, you'll get the biggest breakthrough for yourself, amen? You will make a breakthrough. And there they were in the midst of the in the midnight hour in prison, and they were worshiping God. Surely, if Paul and Silas can do it while they're in prison, or surely we can do it in the house of God. Circumstances do not dictate the circumference of your life, your faith does. All your faith does. You are not dictated to by the circumstances of your life. 
the result, the earth was moved. There was an earthquake. Doors were opened. Paul and Silas's chains were loosed. Everybody's chains were loosed. When we make a breakthrough in this place, the whole of the Charters Towers region will be a recipient of the grace of God. Amen. When the blessing of heaven rests upon this region, everybody has received the glorious rain nearly in the last 10 months. It's been wonderful, hasn't it? They call it rain out of season. We came here on a reconnaissance mission and I said, Lord, if we're going to be here, it's going to rain. And when we drove out of town from our first reconnaissance mission, it was torrential rain when we drove out because it was like Spinifex town when we drove in. They were blessed by the jailer. The city's magistrates were humbly, humbly opened up the doors for them. And the local body of believers saw the power of God in action and were encouraged. I pray, stand to your feet now, if you can, or you're comfortable to do so. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring this word before you, Father, to your people. And I pray, Lord God, in this hour in which we live, when, Father, there is a re-emergence of paganism, Lord, right across the West again, Father, in every form, Father God, through our schools and our education system, community ceremonies, Father God, and paganism, Father, has raised its ugly head. Father, in the name of Jesus, we stand against, Father, the tide, Father God, of the demonic influence across the earth and in particular over this region of Charters Towers. In Jesus' name, if you're listening online, say, whatever region that you're in, begin to declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. Declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over the spirit realm, over your home, over your life, over your marriage, over your finances. Let the breath of God come into it again. And say, Father, I can breathe, Father God, in Jesus' name. Reinvigorate the vision that you give to me, Father. And I pray the breath of God, Father God, I break every demonic stronghold, every spirit of python in the name of Jesus. I command it to back off and make room for a move of the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. No longer will I tolerate, Father God, asphyxiation. I pray, Father, let the breath of God come into your situation now. Come into your marriage. Come into your finances. And Father, we pray, Lord, for this region of Charters Towers. Let the breath of God, Father God, come into it again as we contend with and dry back, Father, every demonic stronghold in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, for a mighty revival of your spirit, Father God, as we contend day after day after day in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.